Welcome to another episode of the DC Washup coming out of the ABC's North America Bureau in sort of sunny Washington, DC. I'm Stephanie March, joined by Ellie Bradfield. Hi, Steph. Special guest appearance from our regional counterpart from Queensland, producer Brooke Wiley. Hello. And the lovely Connor Duffy, North America correspondent. Hello. Where have you been? It's a story. Explain uh, pleading yourself. the fifth. Pleading the fifth. Oh, Can't I say too know. much. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who listen regularly, you'll know that Connor's dulcet tones have been absent, and we've pretty much just dragged him in here, kicking and screaming today. So if he's a bit that's belligerent, right. that's why. But anyway, we got him in. That's that's the main thing. It's been another big week uh, in U.S. politics, uh, but interestingly, a lot of it's not been happening in the U.S., which for us has been fantastic. Donald Trump is on his first overseas trip. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Russia because there's always something to talk about with Russia. And the budget, Donald Trump's budget's come out this week. There's a lot in it for some and there's not a lot in it for others. So we'll go through a quick rundown of all that. Let's start with Donald Trump's overseas trip. It's his first time leaving the state since he was elected president. And he chose to go against the grain of most presidents. Usually they head to the northern neighbour of Canada or down to Mexico, an easy trip, a friendly trip. He took a lot on. He's essentially gone on something of a religious presidential pilgrimage heading to Saudi Arabia, to Israel, to Rome, to Brussels, and then and the Vatican, of course, to meet with religious leaders um, as part of his bid to try and essentially create world peace. It's not that ambitious, is it? The greatest it? deal of all time. Exactly. Connor, what's been your take particularly? Let's start with Donald Trump's time in Saudi Arabia. He attended a Arab leaders meeting where he gave a very powerful speech about his thoughts on combating global terror. What were your takeaways from that? My takeaways in that, firstly, were it was very interesting to see the shift in rhetoric from the campaign where um, President Trump was talking about things like um, fighting um, Muslims in the Philippines and dipping bullets in pig's blood to going and effectively um, having to make a good impression with Saudi Arabia and some of the hardest line parts of the Islamic faith. Um, he seemed to do a pretty good job striking a diplomatic tone and getting people on board. The Saudis, of course, honoured him. We had that visual of him doing the dance with the swords. And um, as I'm finally back on the podcast, I feel I can lower the tone by talking about <laughs> Melania swatting away his hand, which was another big takeout. But on the serious note, um, on his first overseas trip, I think he's probably defied expectations of a lot of people who've doubted his ability to... Um, behave like a traditional president, I suppose, and um, maintain and um, build relationships and be diplomatic. And I think so far on his trip, he's largely done that. There haven't been any cataclysmic gaffes, which has been pretty impressive. Brooke, what have been your thoughts? And particularly, how do you think that the way Donald Trump got through, particularly the, the leg of his trip in Saudi Arabia and Israel, how do you think that will resonate with Muslims in America who may have written him off completely because of the things sort of Connor said? Yeah, that's right. So going overseas and striking this more moderate tone seemed to really enrage some of uh, his critics back home who said, well, he's full of it, you know. He's been making these claims about Muslims in America for a long time and now that his audience has changed, he's taken a different tone. And so early on in the trip, particularly after that Saudi Arabia speech, there was some frustration by the Muslim community here in America who felt like, well, he's 
he's being misleading about his true feelings on this topic now. And he's saying different things to different audiences. So I think it will be interesting to see when he returns eventually from the trip and how Manchester will impact the outcome of the remaining meetings, what impact that will have on the uh, Muslim population back here. The other thing I think that's worth noting that came out of that Saudi Arabia visit, other than the sword bopping dance, <laughs> which was interesting to watch, was uh, this $110 billion arms deal that's been done with Saudi Arabia. And so I think uh, that's supposed to be worth $350 billion over 10 years. And there was quite a lot of criticism about where where those arms will end up, in whose hands they will end up, and whether they will um, increase tensions in Yemen, uh, which is some way that Saudi Arabia is heavily involved in. So that was sort of his big success, I feel like, so far on the trip. He's obviously still away at the time that we're recording. But NATO will be a big test as well. Mm. I think it was interesting with that arms deal, like the way they're able to spin that is, yes, we're giving hell of a lot of arms that we wouldn't usually to um, this Arab government that could potentially use them, as you say, and could end up falling into nefarious hands. But the way they spun it as well was it's going to create thousands and thousands of jobs for Americans. I also thought it was interesting too that um, President Trump seemed to be realigning the states as much closer to Saudi Arabia and much more opposed to Iran, which Mm. has just re-elected a moderate by their standards leader. Um, So that's an interesting take and, you know, it's a region that's that... Uh, contest between Saudi Arabia and Iran is unsettling in almost the entire region. And so it'll be interesting to see once the new US posture filters through what impact that has. Mm. Yeah, because there's been a really dramatic shift or a really um, uh, difficult to anticipate relationship between Saudi Arabia and the United States. And it was only, I think, 12 months ago that Congress allowed or passed a legislation to allow US citizens to sue the Saudi Arabian government for 9-11 attacks. So It's been a very hot and cold relationship and it was a difficult relationship that President Obama had to manage. And so to see the White House get much closer to the Saudi Arabian government seems in some ways at odds with what we've seen from Republicans in Congress. But it'd be interesting to see what their take on that is. I think you're right in the sense that it seems like Trump's trying to use Iran as the devil to unite not only Arab Mm. leaders with the United States, but also try and bring Israel into that um, equation in his search for Middle East peace. Ellie, what did you think watching from afar Donald Trump go on this quite ambitious tour? Well, my favourite part of the whole trip was the um, the hand gesture, but also the <laughs> photo op this morning with President Trump and the Pope. He looked like he was not all that happy the to Pope. be. The, yeah. yeah, he wasn't really that happy to be in the photo with Donald Trump, and he was standing there with that massive cheesy grin, and the Pope was looking like, "Get me out of here." Mm. <laughs> and obviously, Trump and the Pope had kind of an acrimonious, combative relationship during the campaign. I think the Pope said anyone who would want to build a wall, referring to the Mexico wall, is not a Christian. And Donald Trump turned around and said, "That's disgraceful." So it was really interesting to see these two sort of adversaries smile their way. I wonder what it. kind of small. Talk Talk they made. Well, they had a, I think it was a half an hour meeting, and Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, said he um, just after they got on the plane to head to Brussels that one of the things they talked about for a while was youth de-radicalisation. But yeah, I would love to have known whatever else they had on the agenda. Um, Again, just quickly lowering the tone, I have to say I felt sorry <laughs> for Sean Spicer not getting to meet the Pope after you know his 
quite beleaguered, as we all know. Every day he has to come out and mm. put out President Trump's fires. And I thought it was rather churlish of the president oh. not to allow him to meet one of his <laughs> spiritual heroes while he was on the road, you know, as a reward for his service. I think Strauss is sort of just the... the Fall guy for everything these days, isn't he? Doesn't really get much of a go anyway. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Brooke, Donald Trump, um, we probably won't talk about too much because by the time this goes out, it'll be done. But he's also at NATO where they're going to be talking about big stuff, um, uh, including defence spending, terrorism, troops in Afghanistan. So that'll be a good one to talk about next week. Moving on, Russia again. Who feels like bringing us up to date with all the machinations of what's happened in the last week? Connor Duffy, I think that's it. You just put your hand up, didn't you? Is this you? my punishment Hooray! for not being in the podcast for the last few weeks? <laughs> um, well, many, many Russia-related <laughs> events this week. Um, can only imagine how this is all going down in the Kremlin. Um, so after the uh, last week's debacle of the, the leaked reports of the meeting between Sergei uh, Sergey Lavrov and President Trump. The story just continued to build momentum, and it, it really is the thing that's just dogged President Trump and his administration and sucked all the oxygen out of almost everything else that they're doing. Um, so we had uh, this week probably the biggest appearance was former CIA Director John Brennan, who appeared um, in an open setting in the House Intel Committee. Um, it was quite fascinating and amazing to me. We're so used to, in Australia, uh, intelligence-related matters happening behind closed doors, and here we had in open session the former Director of the CIA talking about how he became increasingly alarmed during the election that Russia was trying to subvert it, and that he called his Russian counterpart effectively the top spy in Russia and told him to stop because it could damage the I relationship between call. the two countries. Like I wonder if it's yeah. a red phone on their desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like, mate, mate, I know what you're up to. Yeah. Stop it. Um, <laughs> So we had that uh, hearing and then there was the closed session, which I would have liked to have um, heard even more. But what we did get from Brennan's testimony, which is new, is that he said there were contacts between members of the Trump team and Russian officials or operatives of some kind during the election. Crucially, he did not say if uh, there was any collusion or coordination um, as a result of those meetings. He said that... Uh, um, Russian spying techniques is to be... Uh, they try and get people to uh, do their bidding either wittingly or unwittingly, effectively, either uh, working with them or being used as pawns for them. Um, the other big story, Russia-related, was Michael Flynn, President Trump's national security advisor, who set a record for the shortest time in the job. Um, <laughs> three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. sacked over uh, giving uh, an... Uh, effectively misleading Vice President Mike Pence over a conversation he had with Russia's ambassador on the day that President Obama kicked out a bunch of diplomats or spies, depending on mm. who you listen to. Um, uh, Michael Flynn had been summoned to appear before uh, Congress and basically pled the fifth, as I've done with the podcast the last few weeks. Um, <laughs> Guess which what? Is, it comes back to bite you, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, it does. You're That's what we so basically pleading the fifth is a constitutional right um, not to give evidence if you're going to self-incriminate yourself. Congress wasn't very happy with that. Um, they pushed back, issued new subpoenas, and there's even the risk that um, Michael Flynn could face being in contempt of Congress, which is quite the amazing fall from grace when you consider in February he held one of the highest offices in the land. Mm. It's, yeah, it's 
it's an interesting sort of series of developments. And what, as you mentioned, now they're going, the subpoenas that Congress has issued after he pled the fifth, they're going after his businesses because they think that maybe they won't be under as much scrutiny. Brooke, how do you sort of see this playing out in terms of, do you think Congress is going to let this lie? Yeah, I, I think that this is going to continue. These investigations are just going to keep going. And I don't think that they will quietly walk away from these subpoena requests. I think they'll do everything in their power to get the information that they think will tell them whether or not there was collusion. I mean, that is kind of the point of this entire investigation is to establish whether or not there was a conscious intention on the part of the Trump campaign to collude with Russians to win the election. And I don't think that they will, yeah, I don't think they'll walk away from it. What I thought was really interesting about Brennan is this point that Connor has just uh, referenced, which was that Russian operatives have a history of uh, getting people to speak to them, whether wittingly or unwittingly. And I think that's going to be really crucial in the FBI investigation because that's how we'll be able to determine whether or not the campaign even knew Mm. that they were somehow involved in this master plan on the part of Russian operatives to get Hillary Clinton away Mm. from the White House and get Trump in it. So I think that's going to be really interesting and I'd like to know how that will – like we'll we'll wait and see how that plays out. But I think it's going to be uh, a question that we keep coming back to. The other thing, of course, that happened was there was more juicy leaks about what Trump had said in the White House during those meetings and calling him a nut oh, job. And calling Comey a nut job. Calling Comey a nut job. Yeah. And then uh, even though he has escaped the swamp, he still couldn't manage to escape questions about this. And he got to Israel and and sort of said next to Benjamin Netanyahu that he never mentioned Israel as a, a person that he shared intelligence with during this White House meeting with the Russians. So sort of putting his foot in his mouth again, the, it's just the story that keeps on giving. Oh, it totally is. We've seen the end of it. I think your point there as well about like working out with Flynn, particularly I, I'm quite fascinated by this idea of intent and like whether or not if anyone in the Trump campaign is proved to have had any you know, compromising communications with Russian officials, whether or not it was their intention or not to do so. Because I think thinking back to when, you know, then FBI Director James Comey decided not to lay charges against Hillary Clinton, it was largely because he he essentially said it was it was incompetence. It wasn't, exactly. there was no, you know, negative intent there. Exactly. Um, so I think that's kind of interesting. And the other thing that I was, as you saw me outside before, racking my brain trying to remember what it was that happened this week, <laughs> was um, apparently... Uh, again, just leaked newspaper reports when Mike Flynn was filling out his um, documents to get his uh, re uh, what do you call authorization re authorization for... security clearance. Yeah. Apparently, he left a line blank, and he also um, miswrote that he was paid by the a US company when he gave um, a speech in Russia, but he was actually paid by RT, which is, you know, the Russian propaganda media arm. Um, so again, it kind of comes back to intent. Like, is this guy just Bit, Hopeless. Yeah, just a bit incompetent. Yeah. Or did he actually sort of get up to some nefarious doings there? I think it's hard. It's. I mean, obviously we'll see how it plays out. But to my mind, it reminds me of other investigations that we've seen. And it just makes you think, like, if it is incompetence, he's very unlucky, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Like, but very unlucky for all of these different elements. But how do you to end just up accidentally as the national security in... advisor to the president if you don't have a bit of nouse about you? Yeah. I mean, it would be quite phenomenal to watch play out. Mm. Anyway, I'm sure we'll have more for you next week. So the other thing that happened in Donald Trump's absence this week and pretty 
easily could get eclipsed by what's been going on is the budget. So Donald Trump came into office with some rather grand plans to up military spending by I think it's like $50 billion or something. And to do that, he's essentially going to cut everything else. Um, Ellie, you've been following the budget a little bit, your first US budget. What did you make of it? Well, the best part of the budget, I believe, is the title, A New Foundation for American Greatness. Mm, great. It's so American, isn't it? I wonder it? if they can fit it on a hat. <laughs> um, some really interesting things in there, a big shake-up of how foreign aid is delivered. Um, instead of giving countries a pile of money, they will now loan countries money. So the US government says that so they have more money to spend on more stuff, I believe was the mm. quote. Um but, yeah, some some interesting reaction to that and still a little sketchy on the details of how exactly that will look, but we'll, we'll soon find out. Also, the other big issue was reduction to America's food stamps mm. program. So I think a 25% cut to that program and the, the comments from the Trump administration was if you're able-bodied, you need to go to work. Mm. And so there will be, yeah... A, a, from especially those low-income families, some pretty big changes to them. Um, planned Parenthood, there's been a lot of talk about that in in the last couple of months. It confirmed in the budget that that will definitely be defunded, as well as um, money for public broadcasting being wound back to eventually be defunded as well. So, Mr Turnbull, do not get any ideas, please. <laughs> as you said, basically just trying to save a lot of money so they can build a wall. For me, the other really interesting thing in the budget were the really deep cuts to science, and I think um, that's going to be one of the big fights that they'll face getting through this through Congress. Rush Holt, who's the leads the American Association for the Advancement of Sciences and is a former congressman, has already signalled Democrats are going to have a big fight there. We had the French leader, Emmanuel Macron, basically saying to American scientists, if you're not happy and you lose your job, come to France. We've got plenty of work for you. Um, and, you know, it was also interesting, given that President Trump's line about making America great again, science and innovation and technology have been the things that have allowed America to be a consistent leader over the years. So um, cutting the science budget and how not only Democrats but Republicans on the Hill view that is going to be really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I think the other thing that's worth noting as well about this um, White House budget is that, first of all, Trump wasn't even there to deliver it, which kind of gives you an indication of its importance I think, and how um, it's treated. There've been, there's been some commentary that it's really treated more like a messaging document rather than a done deal, which is how we treat our budget in Australia, of course. Mm. Uh, and all of these initiatives still need to be voted on and get through Congress. And even Republicans will have a very difficult time rolling back into their electorates over the summer and saying, hey, by the way, we're not going to be funding Meals on Wheels anymore because we never liked the elderly very much. You know, like mm. there's some very controversial yeah. elements in this package uh, that would require deep cuts to social programs that are going to be very difficult to sell, even for the most conservative Republicans. And so it's certainly not a done deal yet. And in the budget briefing, they actually said that we don't expect all of this to pass. This is our wish list and it's mm. going to be a big fight for us mm. to and get all I'm, of this through. Yeah, and Obama. Obamacare, like potential cuts to Medicaid, which is the part of Obamacare that essentially got the bulk of the you know 15 to 20 million people on healthcare. Um, massive cuts to that would have a huge impact. But I think it's interesting to think about it from the Trump voters' perspective. Like Connor, as you were saying about science, 
cuts, the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin, when he was talking about it, he was like, well, you know, they spent half a million dollars on a climate change musical. Is that money well spent? And sort of put it back on the press corps to say, like, you know, are you happy about that? And they just didn't answer anything. We'll take that as a yes. And so I think if, you, if, you know, the savvy Republican goes back to their district and sort of says... And he essentially caged the case to in the terms of we're just trying to wind back some of the crazy stuff that Obama did during his time. And I think that's sort of the way they view also, you know, the food stamp expansions. Like during the recession, I think the number of Americans on food stamps went up by like two thirds. And, and it hasn't come down at all. it hasn't really come down, exactly. So they sort of see everything that, and same with cutting the EPA. They see that as just, you know, Obama massively expanding to the point where essentially shutting down resource industries and stuff. And so I think, yeah, it's, um, it's going to be interesting to see as members go back to their districts, what issues in particular their constituents are up in arms about. So let's keep an eye on that. All right. I think we're done. Ellie, thanks so much for being dragged in here for the podcast, but thanks moreover for, for coming me. for two weeks and, you know, keeping everything afloat. It's been wonderful. Two for the price of one. Oh, no. <laughs> Ellie, I'm curious, what have you made of your two weeks in Washington? Well, one thing that I think you guys really need to work on is your radio studio because I sat down <laughs> in this chair and... <laughs> it's Don't worry. Scary. Even in Mount Isa, we had better um, radio studios than you guys have as the foreign correspondents. Well, you'll Hopefully be... ABC management are listening to <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll yeah, all yeah. be thrilled to know that we are getting a studio upgrade next week. Yay. So there but... will be changes on the way. <laughs> but other than the um, creaky radio mics, it has been... <laughs> Such, a, <laughs> such an amazing time to be here. Obviously, it's just been non-stop and the the funniest part has been watching you guys. I think we mentioned last week that your TV scripts have been script till 5.30pm yeah. when the whole script basically gets chucked out and yeah, exactly. you start again. So yeah. it's, been, um, it's been a really interesting couple of weeks to be here and just see how I think people imagine when they think of a foreign correspondent, someone who's living a quite glamorous life overseas, <laughs> getting to file on some of the most important topics in the world. And, and really, this bureau is kind of just like how it works for us in regional bureaus, because you're filing to all these platforms with all these deadlines, with very limited resources, working mm-hmm. massive hours. And um, But it's been great to kind of sit back and, and watch and help a little where I can and um helped a lot yes. Ellie's been wonderful Thank very glad to have had her in the swamp had how did you find that Connor is that all right do you think you'll come back next week or well I'm not sure I'm, I've been inspired by the budget rhetoric around the able-bodied going back to work so um <laughs> you know it was good to sort of get back so on, next week you yeah. have a cast on your leg of yeah, I just can't do it yeah, sorry yeah. I'll come, a doctor's certificate I think will be required at the very least Yeah, all right. Well, hashtag bring Duffy back. Might come back into force soon. Um, Thanks, everyone. We'll speak to you next week.